Hello, and welcome to our latest episode of the Audio Appendix Podcast. In this podcast, we like to tackle topics that maybe we broach on a Sunday morning here at 3rd, but we feel like that topic needs more conversation. Usually these topics intersect something that we have some personal passion around here on staff, and we're just excited to keep talking about it. If you haven't listened before, I am Becca. I am your communications director here at 3rd, and today I am joined by two of our pastors, Corey Widmer and Nan Clark. You guys want to say hi? Hi. Hey, good to be here. (laughs) It is good to be here. Thanks for joining me. Um, So today we are going to be talking about biblical interpretation. Um, That may sound boring to you, but I promise that it is not. This topic actually affects the very beliefs and understandings that underpin our lives together, um, what we believe, what we go through our day-to-day lives believing. Um, So it matters, and I hope that this won't be boring. I'm pretty sure it's going to be a good conversation. Oh, it definitely won't. (laughs) (laughs) If anybody has listened to our podcast on eschatology, which I think was very interesting, um, you know that this stuff can actually be pretty fun to explore. So I'm going to kick us off. Um, I am learning here from Corey and Nan, um, as I hope you uh, dear listeners are as well. And I hope to be just asking the questions that might be burning on all of our minds and hearts. Um, So this past Sunday, Corey, you talked about biblical interpretation. So for those who maybe haven't heard the sermon, I would first of all recommend maybe going back and listening to it. But if you haven't, um, can you summarize what you talked about and give us a quick breakdown on what biblical interpretation is all about? Sure. I think the best way to describe it is the fact that when we pick up the Bible, we are entering into a very, very different world. Uh, we, you know, we obviously live in the contemporary world. And we think and act and live and eat and behave and dress in all of our modern ways. But when every time you pick up the Bible, whether you're reading the New Testament or the Old Testament, really any part of the Bible, you are entering into a very, very ancient culture um, in a completely different time, completely different place, written by um, men and women who no longer, no longer <laughs> exist in languages that no longer exist, in cities, some of which no longer exist, and uh, beholden to cultural practices that no longer exist. Um, And so what biblical interpretation is, it's the vital work of essentially going back, back, back into time, into the original context of when the text was written and attending to the original meaning of the text. It's asking, uh, what did the text mean then and there? And being careful to do that before you ask the question of what does it mean to me in the here and now? Uh, another way that this is often described is to use the word exegesis. Exegesis is the work of, that's a, a word that literally means um, to take out of. Ex means out or out of. Jesus means um, to guide or seek. Um, so in exegesis, we're seeking to take out of the Bible uh, what is there and seeking to understand it as it is, as opposed to eisegesis, which means to put into the text our own cultural assumptions, our own ideas, um, importing them into the text, things that were never actually there. So, Nan, I don't know if you have any... Yeah, I think that's really great. Um, Great definition, and I think it's really hard to do. It is, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Do well. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, um, when you're talking about an ancient culture that existed thousands Mm. of years ago, I, you know, my mind is playing that out, and there's a lot to kind of overcome while you're doing this work, as you're doing this work. So can you tell me why it's important? Yeah, and I, you know, I think this, it's actually something really important for us to understand as Christians why this is so important, because I, I don't know if you um, have ever seen that bumper sticker or heard someone say, you know, the Bible says it, mm-hmm. I believe it, that settles it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it's almost to suggest that um, the work of interpretation is almost nefarious. It's like... <laughs> It's, you know, what academics do or liberal people do or, you know, um, scholars who have malintent do to, to sort of rip the plain meaning mm. of the text away from the Bible. Um, but I would say, I mean, a few reasons why I think that's naive um, and why it's vital that we become good biblical interpreters. One is because all of us are interpreters, whether we like it or not. Um, I think we easily assume that we understand what we read mm. and we think that our personal understanding is also the 
the, the true plain meaning of the text as the Holy Spirit originally intended. Um, but that's just not true. You know, I talked on Sunday how we invariably bring um, to the text all that we are with all of our experience, all of our culture, all of our prior understanding of words. Um, it's actually impossible not to interpret the text. In fact, if you read the Bible in English, you are reading an interpretation of the text. You're, you're reading what a group of men and women have already made decisions about, um, about how to interpret the original languages of the text. So mm. it's impossible not to interpret the text. I'd mm. say that's a big reason. Um, Nan, please interrupt anytime you want. Uh, I think an, a second reason is that um, even though much of Scripture is plain, what we call, uh, the, the fancy word for that is it's perspicuous. It has a see-through quality. Um, I think that many of the most important themes in Scripture are mm-hmm. very, very clear, very plain. Yeah. Salvation by grace through Jesus. Any child can understand. But at the same time, it's not clear that all plain meanings are plain. Um, <laughs> so in other words, there's many Christians who who say that their understanding of the Bible is the plain meaning of the text when it's mm-hmm. obvious that it isn't. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. there's other Christians who are equally committed to the authority of Scripture who have very different interpretations mm-hmm. of the text. I mean, mm-hmm. I have many examples of this. One would be Christians who insist that the plain meaning of the text is baptism by immersion. Other Christians who claim that it's actually baptism of infants. Um, losing one's salvation versus mm. eternal security. Um, free mm. will versus predestination. Mm. Um, what we talked about on Sunday about you know women, their extent of leadership in the church. All these things, e- Christians who are equally committed to the authority of Scripture come up with very different meanings, mm. which suggests that... Um, we have to do some really hard work to attend to what the original meaning of the text is. Yeah, um, one of the things you suggested on Sunday was travel. And we've moved around a lot, and I think that's helped us understand exactly what you're talking yeah. about. So we went to a church in Wisconsin where to be, and they were biblical, you know, being biblical, where you had to. To be a member, you had to say you would never drink. You had to sign Mm. a pledge saying you would not Mm. drink. Then we moved to France and went to the same denomination. And it was a small church. And after lunch, everybody asked us to stay for lunch. That's what they did every week, the whole congregation. And we walk up into the lunchroom, and there's a bottle of wine on every table. France. But beautiful. But <laughs> in the service before the women prayed, they all whipped out their doilies and covered wow. their head. Wow. So wow. you start to see. Wait a minute. We we just and we have many examples of this as we've moved around and it sort of left us scratching our heads, saying, "All these people were making you? interpretive they, choices." And they all, mm-hmm. yeah, and they yeah. all claimed mm-hmm. biblical faithfulness. Mm-hmm. And so it it started us thinking. Everybody picks and chooses. Mm. You pick what you want, what what your tradition wants, what your culture wants even. Mm-hmm. And so the question then started to be for us, how do we pick and choose well and yeah. consistently? And consistency is really hard. I think that's so true. Because, and, and sometimes you hear, you have people say, especially people who are like serious Christian skept- serious skeptics of Christianity say, well, then, I mean, you can just make the Bible mean whatever you want it to mean. Right. And I guess in response to that, we would say, correct, if you are unscrupulous enough, yes. you really can make the Bible mean whatever you want it to mean, which is why interpretation is so important. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't really attend to the original meaning of the text and really work hard to do so, then you truly can't. I mean, the Bible, Bible preaching, interpretation, and teaching really becomes purely subjective. Yeah. It can become whatever you want it to mean. Every cult that has ever existed is all grounded in some seed of truth. There's always mm-hmm. something in there, some scripture that they use mm-hmm. to base their entire theology around mm-hmm. because they're unscrupulous mm-hmm. about the way they're intending, uh, attending to the original meaning. So you kind of end up where you talked about on Sunday, there's two alternatives, it seems. One is you can be like Thomas Jefferson and just cut out all Get the parts out. you don't like, <laughs> which he literally did. Yeah. And Or you can be like um, A.J., um, what was his name? A.J. Jacobs, who did that year of living biblically. Oh, the year of living right. biblically. And, and you see the, how impossible it is to take yeah. everything and do everything literally. Yeah. So you've got these two extremes. So what do we do in the middle? And I think going back to what you were talking about, if you take the example of foot washing, 
it's doing what they did doesn't mean we're being biblical. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Being biblical means asking the question, which you went took us through on Sunday, why were they doing that? What did it mean for them? What was the significance? And then in the same way that we translate the language into our language, we translate the culture into our culture. Mm -hmm. So what in our culture has the same level of Mm -hmm. meaning and significance? Um, And and I think that's what the hard work of interpretation. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I've learned from you, Corey, let me see if I can get this word right, adiaphora. Yes. Is that it? Yes. Did I say it right? Secondary things. Secondary things. And so I think a lot of um, where we fall on these interpretive um, ideas or beliefs can be adiaphora, Mm -hmm. uh, secondary Mm -hmm. to the core thing, the essential things. Mm -hmm. Um, And this conversation makes me think, like, what, what do we do with this as a as one body, one small body mm-hmm. that is a part of the larger capital C church that probably uh, represents a myriad of different um, opinions on, you know, say mm. baptism. Yeah. And so how, how do you guys approach like the unity of the church knowing that um, we embody such differences? I think that sense. that's a very challenging mm-hmm. question. Yeah. And it's one that the church has wrestled with from the very beginning. And I really, it, it, if you imagine there being um, two concentric circles and one is at the center and the other is in the periphery, and really the question is, what are the things that are in the center? What are, what are primary things that are central to our faith? Mm-hmm. And what are secondary things mm-hmm. that Christians, like I said before, who are equally committed to the authority of Scripture end up with different conclusions about? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think we can say with, with great clarity that what belongs in the center are what we believe with the historic creedal church right. Mm-hmm. Right. about um, Jesus, about the Trinity, mm-hmm. about the incarnation, about his death and, and his literal resurrection, resurrection. and his yep. coming again. I mean, these are things that are absolutely central to our faith. Um, but there are other things like like baptism that mm-hmm. um, unfortunately Christians have completely divided and sometimes in the worst of times even mm-hmm. killed each other yeah. over. Um, but that we want to, as Augustine famously said, you know, in all things liberty, and we give each other liberty, but in all things charity. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I've always loved about Third and being here for over a decade now is that it is a congregation that has a lot of different ideas about some of those secondary things, Mm -hmm. but has really chosen to live together Mm. in charity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It feels like a lot of people could choose to go to a different church based on those secondary things. Um, And you see that happen all over Richmond, right. all over mm-hmm. the world. Right. Um, it's grievous, actually. Yeah. It I mean, is. It's, and it's, yeah. it's, there's something beautiful about knowing you disagree about the things that aren't essential, mm-hmm. and yet you can still worship together, you can still go out and minister together. Um, I've had that experience here. And it's not something that stands in the way that... Mm. And it's not... It's more than just an agree to disagree. It's, it's, there's a mutual love and respect mm. for one another mm-hmm. and a, a, a willingness to talk about it and discuss it and yet still be in community together. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a beautiful thing because we're not all going to agree on everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we approach the text with humility. We approach one another with humility. Yeah. And I think when we do that, um, we don't have to have it all right mm-hmm. and all figured out. Mm-hmm. Um, we never will. Yeah. yeah. It's comforting in a way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Nan, I know um, this topic, the subject of biblical interpretation, is something that you are particularly passionate about. I have learned so much from you and benefited from this passion of yours, both through being on staff with you, but I've also been a part of a little Bible study where you've really taught um, some young women how to read and interpret scripture. And it has truly transformed my life as I have studied scripture on my own. And it feels like, it's like a breath of fresh air going in to the word now, um, my whole perspective has changed. My orientation has changed. Um, and it feels, I've always loved the word. I love reading. I love books. I'm, you know, I have a background Mm -hmm. as a writer, Mm -hmm. so it's always been dear to me, but now it just feels even more rich, like tenfold. Mm. And so I, I would love to just have you share 
with those that are listening, like, why is this so special to you? And maybe just a little bit about your journey um, in studying the Bible and why you care so much. And you care about sharing it with <laughs> well, others. Yeah, well, I, I've always loved God's Word. Um, you know, I was raised Anglican in Canada, and um, I would read the Bible. My parents gave me a big old <laughs> heavy Bible, King James, um, when I was young. And I just never felt I understood it or, you know, but I, I wanted it. I, I hungered for it. And um, I, I think until I really came to know Christ, I couldn't understand it, but once I came to know Christ, I, I started to, it started to take hold in my life. And, and then, like I said earlier, as we journeyed and traveled and seeing, how do you interpret scripture when everybody comes to different places was, was really challenging. And, um, and so what I did, I really wanted to learn. So I went to seminary. Mm. I, I, went to learn, not to do anything else but learn, mm. and ended up going a different direction than I thought I would. But I learned so much. And it wasn't, I didn't learn what to believe. I, er, I learned how to ask the right questions. Mm. And that, that was liberating, to start looking at Scripture and asking questions about it that I'd never done before and then you start thinking about it that's mm -hmm. i think where meditation comes in you it's it's not emptying yourself like some meditation it's filling yourself with scripture and then literally chewing on it and wrestling with it and trying to understand it and it just scripture just comes alive that way mm -hmm. and um, so i want I want, I, I, I always talk about know the story, love the story, live the story. Mm. And I want people to do that. I want you to know the story. You have, we know our American story, hopefully. Mm. We should know our Christian story mm. too, and that's mm. the Bible. Mm. And um, I want people to um, love it and live it. And we can't live it if we don't know it and understand it. Mm -hmm. we, we, mm -hmm. we can't. Mm -hmm. And however cheesy it, cheesy it sounds, if you really know it and understand it, it's hard not to love it. Yeah. And want to yeah. live it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, because it, it, there's just so much richness there. Yeah. I, I think one of the things I learned when I went to seminary that really helped me, and you don't have to be a seminarian to do this, but um, I think I read the Bible like a flat text, mm -hmm. like... Every, every word was written to me. Hmm. And I think when I start, what I started to understand was, no, there's historical and cultural and literary contours to this text. And they all have their place and time. And as you learn to read it through that lens and to appreciate it and to ask questions about it, you realize it was really written to them, but it's for us. Mm -hmm. But to get to the for us, you have to start with the to them and understand that and, and dig for the meaning and the significance. And once you do that, you start to, it, it starts to apply. The message transcends the culture, but you can't get to the message without doing the that linguistic works. and cultural work. Mm -hmm. so. so let's talk about what that work is. <laughs> so yeah. what are, uh, this question is for really both of you, um, what are some key things that we should be keeping in mind as we, uh, amateurs, perhaps, maybe some of us are amateurs, myself, um, maybe others are more mature, but what do we need to keep in mind when we're doing this work of biblical interpretation, when we're in our homes reading the Bible on our own? Um, in best case scenario, we could talk about that if we had mm. just hours to sit and pour ourselves many yeah. cups of coffee and yeah. um, spend time pouring through different resources. What would you guys say? My mentor, John Stott, used to always teach this, and I, would, I benefited so much from it. And he would exhort people to know that every time you pick up the Bible, to remember that this is the most um, powerful and it is, it is the most unusual book mm. that you will ever read because it has what he would always call a double nature, um, a double authorship, right. which I think is really important for us to understand as Christians, that just as Jesus 
was both fully God and fully man, and those natures in no way contradicted or contravened one another. In the same way, our Bible is in a form uh, of incarnation in that it is both a fully divine word given in a God-breathed way out of the Spirit of God, but it is also fully human in that it was given, um, God spoke through humans and to other humans in particular times and places and cultures. And so what Scott would always say is that because it has this double nature, on the one hand, we read the Bible like we read no other book. Mm -hmm. Like every time you read it, you read it on our knees. We read it crying out to the Holy Spirit for illumination. No interpretation should be done without acknowledging that, oh my goodness, this is God's word yeah. speaking to me. How amazing. And you, and, and you cry out for the Spirit's illumination, help you read it like no other book. But at the same time, because it is, a, it is also a fully human word, you read it like you read every other book. Mm-hmm. You read it, you know, when you were in college, you were a, a careful interpreter yes. of literary text. Yes. And so, yeah. you know, how much more of, of a careful literary interpreter should we be of this mm-hmm. word? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, I think one big thing that I'll mention, and then I know Nan probably has some important things to say here too, is, is why context is so important. Like Nan said, to really understand what was the original meaning of this text. And that means attending, first of all, to the immediate context. You're always asking, what was going on in this at the time? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when Paul is writing um, Colosh, the book of Colossians, He's just not, he's not writing a general theological thesis. He's writing it to a specific church or a specific right. group of people who are grappling with specific Gnostic heresies. Mm-hmm. You know, when you read um, Luke, is extremely different than Mark. Why? Mm-hmm. You know, Luke was the only Gentile and the only educated um, gospel writer. And mm-hmm. that would suggest what mm-hmm. some of his purposes are mm-hmm. as, that were different than Mark's. You know, what was the immediate context? Second, the historical context you know, who, who is the author writing to, why, from where, when, uh, what's the genre of mm-hmm. the particular book you're reading. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're reading apocalyptic literature, like mm-hmm. the book of Revelation, you need to know how to read that really, really differently than you might be reading historical literature, like mm-hmm. First and Second Kings or one of the Gospels. Yeah. That will help you know whether you should interpret a text literally or figuratively. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then I also think um, this, the context of the whole Bible that we should always be asking, where does this fall into the whole drama of the entire Bible? Mm-hmm. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation, everything pointing to Jesus Christ as the ultimate end of Scripture. Right. Uh, scripture never in- contradicts itself. Mm-hmm. And so one of the best things we can do is to let Scripture interpret Scripture. So if, you, if, you're, if you're confused about something... Always ask, well, what else does the Bible say about this? What do other parts of the Bible say about this? And where does this fall in, in the whole drama of Scripture as a whole? So those, mm-hmm. those are just some, some key things, I think, about context. What would you say, Nan? Yeah, I, I agree with that image of Jesus being fully human and fully divine. That helps so much with the understanding Scripture. And just remembering that for some reason God was perfectly willing to do that. He yes. he communicated with those <laughs> pre-scientific people in ways that they weren't thinking about science when they read Genesis. Right. Um, we tend to read mm-hmm. it through a scientific lens, um, and we do eisegesis because mm-hmm. we do that. <laughs> but if we truly do exegesis, we try and read it as they did, so that those first couple of chapters of Genesis, what do gods do in their world? God gods bring order into the creation they build temples that's why god's doing that only his temple is a cosmic temple um, instead of just a small temple and and so learning the culture Mm. is really important and um, just some markers that that are helpful to remember is in the ancient world, community was way more important Mm. than individuality. We tend to read everything to me, and for them it was the community. Um, For them, the gods controlled everything. There was no secular, sacred divide. Um, Everything happened because a god did something, good or bad. And so that's the cultural river they swam in. They had kings. We don't really have kings. We have maybe the Queen of England, but she's only a figurehead. They, um, they lived in, in a, 
a place where temple worship was important. So God spoke into that time and place using what was important to them, that made sense to them. It doesn't make sense to us, so we have to really work to understand that. We live in a culture of democracy, patriotism, postmodernism, postcolonialism, um, scientific naturalism. Mm. When we look at creation, we think about how did it happen. They weren't asking how. They mm. just wanted to know why. And I think that's, that's, that's a, so. a wonderful example, especially bringing up about Genesis 1 and 2. Mm. Uh, I mean, where there are some Christians who, who think that to, to interpret Genesis 1 and 2 literally as, you know, yeah. as, as, as creation made in six days is actually to be believe in biblical authority right when in reality they're under in, in many ways they're undermining the integrity of the text yes. by not attending to the original wow. yeah. intent of the author yes who is not yes. trying to explain scientifically how the world brought into existence mm-hmm. he was trying to say who did it yes and, and why, why? yeah so when we yeah. when we really attend to the original time the ancient um author's intent we're really actually treating the text with much more authority yes. and with greater integrity. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and you know, just to, as a side note on authority, authority, it, it, I sometimes think we treat the Bible when we say it has authority as though we go, that's our court of final appeal. And obviously mm-hmm. that doesn't work because we still disagree. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think of authority as more understanding the story at at each level Mm -hmm. as they understood it and seeing how then that story has authority as we live in that same story. We do it differently. Um, Again, Paul wrote his letters to certain situations. They were wrestling with how do we live the gospel in Roman, under the Roman Empire. And so our goal is not to do what they did. It's to understand how they wrestled and asked questions mm. about how to live the gospel mm. in their day and then say, how does that help us live the gospel in the 21st mm. century? I'm, I know, I'm sure you've read this because you're, I know you're a fan of N.T. Wright, but yeah. he has this amazing exam, analogy of, you know, what if, the what Shakespeare if you were play. to discover a Shakespeare play yeah. Yeah. that no one had yet discovered mm-hmm. and that the ending had not yet written, been mm-hmm. written. And so some Shakespearean actors were commissioned to perform this. Mm-hmm. And so they, they, they performed the play as Shakespeare wrote, wrote it, but there was no ending. And so then they had to begin to improvise mm-hmm. to determine how would this end if we were faithful to the way that this play was originally written. Right. And so that's just yeah. an amazing example that we have this amazing text given to us we have the way that the people of God were seeking to be faithful to the Lord mm-hmm. throughout the centuries, but then we're called to live that same faithfulness out yes. in our time. Yeah. And we're to do it in a way that was not a, at all alike to their original context, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. we're to do it in a way that is faithful mm-hmm. to, to the way that they were mm-hmm. actually living out their own mm-hmm. faith. And so yeah. there'll be there'll be continuity with the story, right. Right. but there'll be discontinuity in what that, how right. we live that right. out. Because it's a completely different um, world. That we yeah, live. exactly. Yeah. And, and so when you read Paul's letters and think about um, why did he say that and what was the impact of that in that cultural moment, we're learning then how to translate the gospel into our culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean just doing everything they did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's understanding why they did what they did, yeah. and then thinking about okay, how does that translate? Yeah, and I, yeah. you're you're talking about faithfulness, and I think another word that's coming to my mind is like responsibility. Like I feel mm-hmm. like there is an onus of responsibility on ourselves if we um, are humbly attempting this Christian life to say oh my goodness, there's work to be done here. And we have been stewarded this gift of scripture and what are we going to do with it? Mm -hmm. And how are we going to be, um, how are we going to exercise our, this, this massive responsibility of reading this sacred text and trying to live it out. And I think there's an element of humility that I'm feeling like that. Definitely. There's so much that I don't know as Nan just like listed off those things that (laughs) are so embedded in my mind as the water that I'm swimming in post-modernism, post-colonialism, democracy, capitalism, like all of these Mm -hmm. forces that are acting on my life almost invisibly, Mm -hmm. um, that are, are, 
you know, they're the lens to which I read the scripture. And it, when you really start to see it, that all of those things that are influencing you, Mm -hmm. it's kind of overwhelming. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think that's partly why we do this in community. We Mm -hmm. need to do it together. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I can prepare a lesson and think I've, okay, I know everywhere. And then you guys, when we do it, you come up with things that I've never even seen in the text. And it's just so exciting to see how we learn from each other. And I think that's true, you know, within third, but it's, it's um, cross-cultural too. When you're with um, Africans, they see things in the text because they're a totally different culture, in some ways closer to the original culture than we are. They read things there that we Mm. would never think to see. Um, Some of my Korean friends, they they interpret differently Mm. because of their culture and experience. So we really need each other in this task. Community is really important. We don't, again, to our individualism, you know, no no scripture is in private as is of private interpretation. Mm. That we do it together in community. Yeah. No, I'll um, never. Uh, I I remember um, an experience where I was both devastated and encouraged at the same time, um, and it had to do with a very beloved verse that many Christians love and paint um, in little <laughs> frames and put in their walls, and that's Jeremiah. 2911, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. That's something mm. we all love that verse. And, and we love that verse. But, um, you know, I, I was in, I was in Africa and in a, in a disenfranchised community. And they were, the, the minister was using that verse and exhorting his people and saying, you know, this verse says, just as the Lord spoke this to his people, Israel, you know, so now he is speaking it to us. Mm-hmm. And it was clear that they were interpreting it corporately, mm-hmm. which is how that verse was originally yes. given. It was given, mm-hmm. that was not spoken to an individual who was yes. struggling to know yeah. what job to yes. get. Yes. It was given to a community that had experienced massive disenfranchisement yes. and oppression. Yeah. And so I suddenly realized, you know, at the one hand I was deflated because I thought, that's my verse. I like that for my personal oh, life. Yeah. But then I was suddenly, you know, <laughs> overcome with realization that they were actually through my experience, they were handling that passage much more faithful to the original mm-hmm. context than mm-hmm. I had ever done. Mm-hmm. Not to say that can't be used personally, yeah. but it means that we attend to the original meaning before we then that, make the jump to apply it to yeah. ourselves. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. Yeah. I think that's... Great. And just the, I, I think the other aspect, you know, we've talked about the human a lot, but the divine. Mm. I mean, it's amazing to me. You've got all these authors over a couple thousand years, and when you put all of scripture together. It really is one story from beginning to end. How, you know, that's the divine part of it. How God has communicated through all these human authors, through different historical and cultural moments, this story, and you alluded to the plot, the creation, fall, most of it's redemption, and then the consummation. Mm -hmm. And it all hangs together. Mm -hmm. And it all, every part fits, not always perfectly the way we'd like it to, but Mm -hmm. it does make sense. And so when I'm reading scripture, I always try and ask myself, where am I in the story? Mm -hmm. And how does that impact how I read that, whether it's Old Testament or New Mm -hmm. Testament? And Mm -hmm. so I think that's important. And, And that the whole point of it is God is revealing his purposes to us so that we can be participants mm-hmm. in them. Mm-hmm. It's not just about knowing head knowledge mm-hmm. and being able to recite long verses of scripture. It's really God revealing himself so we can know so his purposes the and then be part of it. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm always asking myself, remember, where do I fit in this story? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I think that's really helpful too. Yeah. So let's let's dive into some examples or an example, um, just to kind of put uh, close on this. So, Corey, in your sermon on Sunday, you gave us a couple of examples. We talked about foot washing, um, but we also talked about, as far as contemporary applications of this topic. Um, the issue of what the Bible teaches about women um, and women exercising leadership and authority. Um, so can you kind of summarize what you said about the subject? And yeah, I, I really wanted to address this issue 
publicly because I do think that um, this is an issue that really divides the church and, and especially divides the, the evangelical church, really sadly. Um, and it's often assumed about churches like ours and our, our ECO denomination that fully affirm women, it's ordination and women's, mm-hmm. women serving as elders and deacons and pastors, that it is because we are not taking seriously the authority of scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people often assume it's because we, you know, read some of these difficult passages in the Bible about limiting women and, and we've, we've said, oh, that's culturally regressive. Let's mm-hmm. ignore that one and or throw that one out. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I was trying to say on Sunday was that in, in reality, um, we hold our position and we hold it along with many, many other faithful biblical interpreters yeah. um, that we're actually attending to the original meaning of the text, that what we see happening in the New Testament, especially, is the Holy Spirit being poured out on this in this remarkable way upon men and especially women um, in this fresh way in which women are empowered in ways that they really they had never been empowered before to serve in extraordinary ways in all different sectors of the church. Um, we talked about on Sunday how we see them serving as disciples, deaconesses, prophets, apostles, ministry leaders, benefactors, teachers, disciplers, house church leaders. Mm-hmm. We have this, you know, this great Pauline proclamation that there is neither male nor female, for now are all are one in Christ mm-hmm. Jesus. And so I think that oftentimes, again, we are we import our own modern cultural assumptions about gender onto the text. Mm-hmm. Read the ancient text, and it sounds very regressive to us. Mm-hmm. When in reality, if you get into the minds of the original readers, much of what was being said about women was actually scandalous and liberating. Mm-hmm. For women. Um, mm-hmm. Now, yeah. that's not to say that we're trying to erase gender differences or acknowledge that there are really clear differences in the way that God has designed men and women, because mm-hmm. that's clear as well. But we're we're trying to follow the the lead of the text and and seeing women freed up mm-hmm. as powerful servants in the church. Yeah, and I think part of it comes back to consistency again. Um, are we going to obey all the scriptures literally about if you just take what Paul said about women, or are we going to throw them out? Because he hate, we figure he hated women, mm-hmm. and either either one leads to problems. Mm-hmm. So, if you take the literal one, you have churches in China when a woman missionary would come and preach, and she was a great preacher. They'd have all the men on one side, and they'd just put up a curtain. So literally, so they, could hear her, they, they, they yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so you know, you end up with all these things. And so I I think we need to. Um, before we think about the challenging texts and in Paul, and this is what we're going to do in the class. I'll put a plug for our, our, class, our class in the yes. fall. <laughs> yes, start September yeah, 9th. Women, yes. the Church, and the Bible, is we're going to stand back and look at all of Scripture. So mm-hmm. we're going to start in Genesis and look at Genesis 1, 2, and 3, because, again, we read back into that. So we assume that women are to be submissive, so we read submission in mm. Genesis 1 and 2, but is that really what's there? And so we're going to look at that, then we're going to look at how God used women in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. at leaders, prophets, prophetesses. Um, You're going to look at Deborah? We're going to look at Miriam, Deborah, <laughs> Huldah, probably the prophet. Um, we're going to look at, then we'll move to Jesus, and how did Jesus interact with women? Um, you know, the first apostle was a woman. She, she was sent by Jesus to proclaim mm-hmm. the resurrection. Uh, a lot of people don't first know preacher. that. Yep. <laughs> first preacher. And they didn't believe her. Right? <laughs> they didn't believe her. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah. we moved so um, far past and, that. And Jesus was radical in the way he interacted with women, the way he had women traveling yeah. with him. That would have been scandalous, mm-hmm. the way women supported him. Mm-hmm. Then we'll look at Paul and how did Paul affirm women in ministry. He partnered with women, um, and he spoke of them in in glowing terms about the way they worked hand, side by side with him. Romans 16. You know, yeah, that just long full of women that he, of he worked with. Women. And so yeah. then, with all that context, then we'll look at the challenging yeah. scriptures. Mm. Because I think you can't look at what Paul said without looking at how Paul worked and mm-hmm. lived and he, right. if he lived and worked with women in ministry then you have to 
understand how that colors what he said about women. There must be more yeah. going on. Well, and, and I, that's the principle of scripture interpreting scripture. Yes. And, and yeah. also, attend. I mean, if you imagine if, you know, when you're listening to your friend or your spouse talking on the phone and you only hear one side of the conversation exactly. all the time, you're guessing what the other person mm-hmm. in the other line is mm-hmm. saying. And sometimes you can mm-hmm. be, sometimes you're accurate. Other times, as I often am, completely clued out yes. to what's yeah. actually going on. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so it's, I mean, I think the other thing to be, yeah. that's important to remember is that, especially in Paul's letters, he's often addressing things mm. that we just don't understand what's going that's on right. on the other side of the conversation. And so if he's giving, you know, for instance, in First uh, Timothy, when he gives a command about women not speaking in the church, Mm-hmm. There, it's it's obvious, especially when you look at there's other places like in First Corinthians where G, where Paul is instructing how women should talk when they prophesy in church. Yes, um, exactly. That it must not be a blanket prohibition that he's laying mm-hmm. down. There must be some sort of extenuating circumstances that were happening in the church of Ephesus that would lead him to say such a thing. And we yes. need to ask that question: What was going well, on? Yes. Why would Paul be writing this? What was going on in the church of mm-hmm. Ephesus? Yes. And that's to be a, a you know wise biblical interpreter, mm-hmm. letting scripture interpret scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that that context mm-hmm. and the culture that's happening all will then help us to understand how we interpret those difficult texts. Yeah. And cuz you know, it's I mean it's always funny to me that right after Paul says women I suffer not a woman to teach or have authority over men, he says I want men to pray raising holy hands and I just don't look around you and don't see, see too many, many men, men raising that. holy hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or or the so. one in, in um, First Peter, where in the same text he talks, mm-hmm. he says women shouldn't wear gold jewelry, and mm-hmm. I see that you're wearing gold jewelry oh, right I now, am man. Too. Yeah. I, well, see, I so, pick and choose yeah. too. <laughs> pick and choose. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the I don't want to say it's an elephant in the room because it's not awkward, but. Man, you are an ordained pastor, mm-hmm. um, and I literally just found out that you went to a seminary that did not ordain women. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I mean, I'm sure the listeners want to hear, but I personally want to hear a little <laughs> bit about your story uh, going through um, this process. It was it was challenging, mm-hmm. um, and I'd already settled in my mind, so I it wasn't an issue for me. Going that in, the seminary didn't ordain women. Yeah, okay. because I wasn't. First of all, I wasn't planning on getting ordained, mm. so that didn't matter. And second of all, I just d- disagreed with it, and that was fine. And actually, the more I learned, the more I th- learned how to uh, affirm that position through mm. what I was learning there, which is kind of ironic. But um, yeah, I graduated with fifty-four MDivs. 50 of us, 50 of them were men and only four of us were women. So it was challenging um, because I think the women felt like second class citizens and that, Mm -hmm. but um, I still learned so much and I don't regret that I went there. Um, And when I did decide that I would get ordained, it obviously wasn't in that denomination, but I had several professors who were very affirming and very encouraging mm. that came to my ordination, too. Mm. So, um, yeah, it was really meaningful. And, um, yeah, so it, w- it was a rich time in my life, frustrating in some mm ways but really rich in others so uh, if I had it to do again I might do it differently mm-hmm. but um, there's no perfect seminary I mean mm-hmm. I could have gone to Princeton I guess where they ordain <laughs> women but oh, you, you know you've got other stuff there, man. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, all of them are messed up yeah well just so, yeah. like every mm-hmm. church and yeah. this goes back to the what we were just talking about, how there's probably there, I know that there's people within this church community that have different opinions on yes. this subject is, and many other um, yes. beliefs. So how, how do we still live faithfully and fulfill our callings? Um, mm-hmm. But Nan, you have really mo- modeled, I mean, grace mm-hmm. and charity in that. Mm-hmm. To, to, and Well, I think that's what we're called to. Yeah. I, I don't think yeah. we're supposed to beat each other over the head. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had conversations with women here who don't believe mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. women elders and mm-hmm. pastors. But you know what? We love God together. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And we yeah. minister to people yeah. together. Yeah. So it's not a, 
and it shouldn't be a barrier, um, you know, to go back even to your baptism one. I mean, we were in a church where um, Boyd couldn't be an elder because he was didn't fully 100% believe in infant baptism. Well, I think there's a problem with that, mm-hmm. that when we put restrictions on people. And mm-hmm. I, th- I think what I've learned is what what's important about ministry is the gifts that God give us has given us and it they're gifts of the spirit and mm-hmm. like you referred to Pentecost they're they fall on fell on men and women mm-hmm. and I think the other piece is character we need to pay attention to the fruit of the spirit that mm-hmm. people have I think we focus a lot on the gifts and forget about the fruit because we're you know the gifts are obvious um, fruit's a little harder to see, mm-hmm. and you, need, you really need mm-hmm. to be in community yeah. to, to see to know, that. Know a person a little mm-hmm. better. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I I'm feeling like the the more um, we respect this idea of biblical interpretation and do um, the hard work of interpretation, the more that we understand plain isn't plain, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. you said. I think you enter into a complexity where you have more grace for yourself and more grace for yes. others. Like yes. this is hard and yeah. we're, we're doing this work and I trust that you, my brother or sister in Christ is also doing this work and mm-hmm. we may come out on the other, we may come out on two different sides, but um, I don't know. I think there's a lot of grace in that if, yes. if it's handled well. Yeah. Um, I think it's harder when people refuse to accept that plain isn't plain. Mm-hmm. And that's actually when we can really get into our camps and, um, yeah. yeah, divide the church. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, just as we close, I would love for you guys to give us some like really practical suggestions for how we can do this. Um, you know, I, I know I need help. I'm sure a lot of people out there need help. And, just to give a quick plug for Nan's class <laughs> this fall, um, she'll be teaching a class. What is it called? Women, Women, the Bible, and the Church. Yes. And it, Gina Mayo and LJ, LJ. Mm-hmm. will be, the three of us mm-hmm. will be. And I know Corey primarily. will be hopping mm-hmm. in there. Teaching at least yeah. once. In yeah. The yeah. Yep. So. Um, yeah. It's going to be meeting in the Fellowship Hall starting on September 9th, 9th. at yeah. 10 a.m. Yeah. Um, as someone who has studied under Nan, um, I cannot recommend this enough. Um, I feel like I am learning a lot from her in biblical interpretation, but also just sitting here at the table with you. I feel like you are such a role model to me. This is a very personal note. (laughs) So I hope everyone (laughs) has the opportunity to learn from her um, in these ways. But how else can we um, be putting this into practice? I think one important thing to remember is that this is not an individual personal practice. Um, this is something where we need other people. I mean, first and foremost, we need the Holy Spirit. Yes. We cry out for yes. illumination from the Spirit yes. every time we come to the text. But secondly, I think it's important that we remember we need the church. Um, I think mm-hmm. Protestants have a harder time with this. You know, mm-hmm. Our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters um, don't have as much struggle <laughs> with interpretation because... Yeah. Um, they have Rome <laughs> who tells them how to interpret. Um, yeah. but we, we all are believe that we have the power to interpret <laughs> things ourselves, but we, we still are under, you know, we are part of the church. And so, you know, we come to worship and we hear the pastor expositor, expositing the word of God. Mm-hmm. We do this in community with each other. We do this with the historical community, the saints that have, that have developed a history of interpretation of certain texts. Yeah. And so that we rely on the history of interpretation as mm-hmm. well. So we don't, we, we never come to the text sort of by ourselves mm-hmm. alone. We're always coming with the, the cloud of witnesses, the community, of the saints, mm-hmm. living and dead. Um, and then I think, you know, and then once you realize both your dependency on the spirit and on the church, then you use your brain, yes. you know, you use your mind, yeah. you, you, you get Absolutely. working, you, mm-hmm. you know, you get a good study Bible. Um, you, uh, when you come to a text, you, you ask, you know, good, good reporter style questions, who, what, where, when, how you, you, you try to dig into, you know, what, what was the, who was this author? Who, what was, who was he or she writing to and why, and what was going on? And, and you really try to discern the, the, the original meaning of the text through interpretation. Then before you jump into application, which is really the question of, so what, what does this mm. mean for us today? Mm. Um, what would you say? Yeah, then? I think too. I uh, 
a couple of Bibles that I've really loved. One is the called the NIV Books of the Bible, and they take all the chapters and verses out because those were added much later. They aren't part of the original text. And um, just start reading. Re- get to know the story. R- read lots. Um, because you have to sort of get to know the story first. I, I, I'm Devotional reading is a different kind of reading, but get to know the story. And the more you do that, the more you start to see connections. You'll start to see themes running through the story. And it just starts to come alive. Uh, another thing is, uh, this is a new one. It's the NIV Cultural Background Study Bible. It's a big, thick old Bible, but it has lots of information, cultural um, historical, ancient Near East text stuff in it that really helps you understand what they were trying to uh, communicate and how um, things worked in their world because it is different from ours. And the last thing I'd say is don't get discouraged. Um, it is hard work. I think we've made that pretty clear. Uh, we do do it in community, uh, but you're learning new skills and if you're trying to learn to play the piano, you have to practice every day, and um, you know it's a long haul between bef- before you're capable of really playing a lot of good songs. And this is the same thing. It's a skill. Practice. Mm-hmm. Do it with other people, and as you do, look for the richness and the beauty that comes uh, your way through Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's wonderful, and it you look back and say, ah, it was worth the work. Mm. Um, and so it's such a beautiful story that God's given us in Scripture. He's woven together all these parts, and uh, it's for us. And uh, so go to work. Yeah, it's a gift. <laughs> well, thank you, guys. Um, I don't think there's anything else I can say to top that. Um Thank you guys for being here. Thanks for this conversation. Um, Thank you for listening, all of you guys out there. Uh, I'm sure if you have any questions about further biblical interpretation um, issues, Nan and Corey would love to talk to you. So absolutely. Thanks for listening.